This podcast is part of the GWC Network. For more information on it or to check out some of our other awesome podcasts, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. After the tone, enjoy the show. Welcome to Modern Geek Podcast number 44, recorded May 20th, 2012. I'm Chuck. And I'm Juan. And welcome back to Modern Geek. Modern Geek number 44. Really getting up there. It's all a holiday up in Canada, right? Yeah, it's uh, Victoria Day on on Monday, I guess. Nice. Which, being in Victoria, means that we have like this... uh, parade that that goes through the the the, ta- the city and we have like people come in from all over to participate in it nice yeah so i i had always assumed as a kid being from victoria and having victoria day that everybody had a a, a holiday day for their hometown no dallas day there would be like you know you know like hope day and spasm day and, and kitchener day <laughs> but apparently not <laughs> No Dallas Day. No, apparently it's to celebrate the birthday of Queen Victoria. Ah, uh, or if we didn't, or if we do, we damn sure don't get the day off. <laughs> so, and like Dallas, it's a day. Go to work. Yeah, really, get to work, bastard. You can like it by supporting the economy. <laughs> work, work, <Yeah. laughs> work. <laughs> damn. So we got a couple of things to talk about this week. Well, quick things. I I, I noticed that uh, Twitter added uh, do not track support. Ah, uh, you might which, have to explain that because I had not really uh, thought about how that worked until we talked about it before the cast today. What's interesting? I'll, I'll explain what this is. In in for example, in Firefox and also with Chrome and and Internet Explorer with plugins. There, is, if you go into the privacy tab in Firefox, in your options, right. there is a, uh, a check mark that says, tell websites I do not want to be tracked. Now, what that does is that when you submit, like you submit a request to pull up um, Twitter.com, right? Right. Sends a little thing in the header saying, hi, you know, I, I want to view Twitter.com, right? But it also sends a little piece saying DNT, like do not track. And this is something that was thought up of a couple years ago, I think back in uh, 20, 2009 or 2010, that was, hey, if we include this header, then we can tell certain websites that this particular user doesn't want you to collect those anonymous usage statistics that they collect from everybody. Huh. Like, what, what links do you click on? You know, where do you go? What browser are you using? Um, what version of Windows you can... Because they can figure that all out from, from the request that you, that you send to them. But this little check mark says, hey, I don't want you to collect that information and use it. So what this does is Twitter is saying, okay, we'll honor this tag. But, I mean, this isn't to say that just because you go into Firefox and check this off means that you're safe from anonymous usage statistics. Huh. This is only for, for sites that want to comply with this. I mean... Uh, in the states, people are trying to make this a law that you know if if we send a DNT header, don't track me. I don't want like make it uh, something legal. Hmm. But 
think right now it's kind of just up in the air. Just, you know, if people want to play nice with this, they can. But, you know, it's not going to protect you from, you know, free MP3s dot, you know, CN dot RU or something. Right? <laughs> not going to protect you from malicious sites. It'll only protect your privacy rights on the sites that want to adhere to this. I guess so, I could see that, though. What the hell, you know? Can't hurt. Yeah. If the entire internet was locked down and you had this checked off, then, yeah, that might be a really useful tool. Um, either way, if you're worried about that kind of thing, like I don't want my, my usage tracked uh, anonymous, even anonymously, you can um, check that off in Firefox, and there's plugins you can get. And, you know, Twitter's now a site that will adhere to this, but, you know, it's, it's still, it's like an interesting idea, but it, like an impossible implementation. So, you know, your mileage may vary. <laughs> well, I could see that. You know, part of the concern with this kind of thing comes from the fact that regardless that these are anonymous at the start, uh, it's actually a lot easier to de-anonymize data than it, than it would seem. Uh, right. A group at MIT did a study a, a number of years back uh, where they essentially took uh, some publicly available data. I, I'm, I think it was... I think it was like uh, medical. Oh, I know what it was. It was medical records of a particular state. Okay. That they had released for state employees, and it was essential. It, it was like all of the healthcare data, like like what procedures people had and that sort of thing. But it was anonymized. And the idea behind it was, if I remember correctly, that they would release this data, and it would help uh, agency, insurance companies, or whatever in figuring out proper risk for the group. So essentially, they, they removed all of the who is it, but you had all of the actual procedures and so on, and the data was there, and it was made available publicly for them to use this way. Right. And then they took other available data, things like voters' registration records, um, you know, uh, I don't know, a number of, of things that are, are completely public, and then they used various uh, algorithms to reassemble them. You know, and the simple, the simplest kind of uh, uh, an oversimplification of this would be like, say, that you had a person that was a federal employee that had a uh, uh, that had uh, you know a hysterectomy in this particular period uh, and was in this county. You know, right? And you only had three employees in that county, and one of them was a woman. Right. Yeah, you can narrow it down relatively quickly. You yeah. now know who that procedure was for. And if you if the data is linked together at all, which you would assume it was, you would know what other procedures that person had. That data could then become useful. I don't know if you ever did those logic problems when you were a kid where uh, they give you the thing and they say, Joe has a blue balloon, you know, and uh, a person under the age of five has a red balloon. No one has a, a yellow balloon. There are yeah. six balloons, you know, and all those things. And then you sit down and you have to figure it out. And you can, the way you do it is by building a grid and essentially uh, plugging together all those pieces so that you can make inferences, not only from two pieces of information that were given you, but, but between a piece of information that was given to you and one of the other inferences. Right, yeah, and you can very quickly turn it into an equation where you basically just wind up solving for X. Yeah, you end and, up and, filling on all the blanks, and you can match a lot. And they did, and they matched up something like 80% of it. 
Oh, wow. I think it was a lot of data, and it was really scary. And I, I think a lot of people are, have, have rightfully so fear this because, you know, if you just had one piece of anonymous data out there, it is anonymous. But the problem is, is that there's a whole crap ton of anonymous data on you out right. there. It, it, it's not just Twitter tracking you. It's, you know, if you, if you have an advertiser that... I mean, what what it really the people that are really actively developing this are are advertisers, right? You know, sure. you, you have pe- advertisers that are buying ads on Google, Facebook, and Twitter, and you know, when you have those th- even those three, if you have anonymous information from all of them, you can very easily figure out who is going where and doing what based on, you know, a lot of the information that's just provided by your browser even if you're in, you know, even if you're in private mode. You're it's it's interesting how much information can be determined by, you know, a simple click on a tweet. Yeah, and in in case anybody's wondering, the drive for this comes from the fact that advertising increases in its price in term, you know, based on how directed it is. So, like, if you were right. to buy advertising that reaches a wide group, uh, it might be a price of X, you know. And if you, but if if they can confirm that that is going to a more specific demographic, uh, it could be much higher than that. So yeah, the 18 to 49 range isn't really applicable anymore when they can say, <laughs> no, I want it applied to seven, 18 year old males that. Well, as play specific games. as you and, might and you get can to. Get it. Yeah, you can get it way specific. Yeah, yeah then you can the opposing product. You know, there are all kinds right. of things like that you could do. Yeah. So anyway, all I was going to say is I, I think that's the drive behind this type of collection. I think it's not sinister in its actual in in the i'm gonna say it it's not sinister in the intended application yet i think it's quite sinister in its available application right it, it it's not inherently <laughs> don't evil. mean to do it it just can be <laughs> and and can likely will you know yeah if there's anything we've learned online it's that well i mean you know? a gun is not inherently evil it's what you do with it right I, I think it's it's just something to be aware of that that yeah. more more websites are starting to figure out ways of 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 doing this properly and it, I do like that that Twitter has now supported this it's, it's I think it's a step in the right direction I I agree completely the step in the weird direction was when I logged into Google Plus for the last few days and have it had it say um hey just enter your email address and your password and we'll go out and i'm not sure about the password but we'll go out and get all of your friends and ask them to join google plus yeah you know i i saw <sighs> i saw a piece that was making the rounds last week uh yeah and, and i i think i may have seen it on gizmodo but it, it made the rounds to everybody that was commenting on how how google plus has such a huge membership but virtually no content Right. That that they're forcing so many people into the program that the numbers are inflating, but the actual content generated by the people in there is is very small. Like they were well, comparing it to like echoing hallways. There's just no one there. Yeah, it's like if have you used Gmail? Yeah. Well, then you've probably accidentally used Google Plus and activated your account there. I mean, it I there there I think there's a lot of I mean Reader is a part of Google Plus. If you're sure. using Reader, you're using Google Plus. Uh I think that I mean my my stream is filled with stuff from 
you know, I, I like a couple people I follow. I've got like a bunch of stuff from John o Lobster, some from Brian Brushwood, and some from Nerdist. But if you go and look at my profile, um, right now I've got, you know, I hung out with people <laughs> over and over again. I got to wonder how many people are using Google Plus purely just for the Hangout feature. You know, it's interesting. I, I would, I'm almost that way. I, yeah. I actually like the layout. Uh, I like the layout better. It's not bad. Yeah. I, I like it better than Facebook. I like the way that it works, but what I what really holds me back, I think, is the fact that there just aren't that many people there. The some people have pointed out that it's very much like the early during the early adoption days, though, that the people that are there tend to be relatively savvy and kind of interesting, which right. is which is cool in a way. But I, I saw a webcomic that said, you know, it was like at the Google headquarters, like, we want to make a social network like Facebook, but not really. You know, we want to make it with, uh, you know, the problem, biggest problem with Facebook is that everybody's there. It's like, so we want to make a social network where nobody's there? Exactly. Huh. And that, that's the joke. But, you know, I mean, one thing I really like about it is the, um, did you see the update to the, the Google Plus iPhone app? I did. That thing is slick. Yeah, it is. It's like got all the, you know, image, image, uh, it's, it's fancy Uh, and it's got the kind of left sidebar thing that, you know, is, is popular on iOS devices right now where it's like pop in from the side for your stream profile messenger, et cetera. I think that that's going in the right direction. I mean, that is a huge departure from anything that anybody was doing on the, on the mobile platform. Um, it can be a little chunky when you're on three, uh, a slow 3g connection. Admittedly though. If there was any place that it would be really easy to punch Facebook in the face, it would yeah. be on their mobile app, which universally sucks. Yeah. I, I, I can't understand why they don't have an iPad app yet. Uh, well, uh, well, they do. They do? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a universal app, I think, isn't it? If, if not, I have it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a universal, isn't it? Maybe I didn't come across it. <laughs> I think, Keep in mind, it's only you know like my reason? second week with the iPads. <laughs> you know what the great reason would be to not have one, though? Because you can actually use the full site quite effectively on the iPad. In fact, it's it's kind of a toss-up as to whether the app or just using the site is better on an iOS device, especially the iPad with a little bit bigger. On the iPhone, oh. probably... It's probably not, but still, it's just frustrating that they should. That doesn't mean that the that the that they're both great. It means that they're both really bad on on iOS. Yeah, well, I st- yeah, I still can't figure out which which to use. Uh, Facebook It's like I've got the app. I've got uh, a shortcut to the uh, to the for 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 Facebook. I've got that and the Safari link. And uh, you know, sometimes I'll use one and sometimes I'll use the other. I'm not quite really determined on that one yet. You know, this brings up a question, related question that I want to ask, and maybe our listeners can weigh in because I, I would be interested to hear what they hear. I have not made a decision about this myself, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have a Twitter account, I have uh, which I use a pretty good bit. I have a Facebook account that I use a, a reasonable amount. Um, I have a Google Plus account that I don't use much. Um, you know, there are all these various services, and, and one thing that I've always kind of abhorred is linking them all. Like when people oh, link it and yeah. blow, just spew their stuff across all of them. Yeah, you post one thing to Facebook and then it shows up as a duplicate on Google Plus and then as a short link on, on uh, Twitter and yeah. Or probably the best of the bunch there are the ones that don't necessarily get unfriended slash unfollowed from me. 
uh, are the ones that that base it out of Twitter. So they tweet and then the tweets end up in their Facebook stream, which is not quite as bad because at least they make they are usually full pieces of content instead of like a link to something blasted into Twitter. That's an awesome way to get unfollowed by me, at least. Um, But but I I I'm not quite sure how I want to deal with that, because I know that there are people who follow me on Twitter that do not follow are not friends on Facebook and vice versa. I know that there are people who would like to interact with me and I would, whom I would like to interact with on Google+. I feel like the right answer for all of this is some kind of decision about, uh, about what type of content should go in what medium and best uses that medium and suits it. And and I haven't quite figured this out for myself yet, but that's kind of where I'm heading. You know, like right. what are the affordances of each media? How how could I use that in a way to channel thoughts into it, uh, it that that are going to be useful for others and and make sense? You know, I, I have a pretty good grip on Twitter. I have a pretty decent grip, I think, on Facebook, but I really don't yet have a grip on how to spread the content around. And I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, it's. I think it's, a lot it's funny. Of Everybody are. seems to have their own separate approaches to how to do this, and I'm not sure which one is really right at the moment. I mean, there's probably a couple different use cases. I mean, you, you, you I guess we're also in the unique uh, place of having the personal sharing versus the network sharing, right? Like with, with the GWC podcast, it's like when a GWC podcast comes out, do we have, should we spam that to Twitter and uh, Google Plus and Facebook all? And like, is that something that would be beneficial or detrimental? It's, it's funny. Like, to- the more I think about it, like with something like that, I, you know, and, and you have to kind of ask on each level like that. You can't just say it's all this, you know? Right. Like, like in that case, I put it in my personal Twitter stream because I've been doing it for some time and nobody has complained. So I figure, okay. Right. Um, I think it would be useful in the GWC specific Facebook, uh, to stream, to have those come out. If for no other reason than it would provide an easy way to, uh, to share episodes within, within Facebook. If somebody wanted to do that, they could now, of course, but it would be significantly more difficult. They could also like, and unlike, and comment and things like that. That would be nice to hear from them and see what they like and don't. And, uh, of course, I don't do that right now because I'm lazy and I just I haven't quite uh, between all the other stuff. I haven't quite handled that very well. But like I, I wouldn't feel comfortable necessarily spamming it out my Facebook uh, personal Facebook account and my Twitter account simply because I think there's enough overlap between those people that I don't want to hammer them with junk like that i i get and and this is something i i am clear on that i do think about is i think about twitter like microblogging you know Uh, it's easy to forget that and to use it as a as a you know like a a chat service or something i i try to treat it like microblogging and i try to think in terms of the people who follow me are they you know is this something they would be interested in reading is this you know would i want to read this from me and uh, I, I'm surprised at how many people don't do that. But still, I'm I'm just very much up in the air. If you have any thoughts about it, two one four two nine six nine two two nine. I would I would love to hear about it. I think we need a kind of personal policy for that. And I I don't have all the answers yet. Definitely. Not definitely that you have the wrong answers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You but- suck. 
Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> um, to change gears a little bit, um, you, you actually found this one. Uh, apparently, LastPass has come out with a new app. Oh, this is the LastPass wallet. LastPass wallet. Now, LastPass has been around for a while. Um, it's a great way to, uh, you know, uh, first of all, save your passwords into a into a global repository uh, uh, that you can share amongst different browsers. So, so if you got a multiple different machines and iOS devices, you can uh, access your uh, passwords from basically anywhere, um, which is very handy and. They've released a new app called LastPass Wallet that is designed to do the same thing, but with more of your physical information. Um, for example, like your driver's license number, credit card numbers, uh, etc. I'm not sure how to feel about this. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I have two thoughts. Uh, one is that in general, I would think, holy crap, no. But... But at the same time, I can't help but think the stuff that I'm trusting LastPass with already right. is so much more than that that why wouldn't I? You know, what the hell? Well, exactly. And and the good thing about LastPass, at least with their, their password app, has been that, um, like, it's gone through the ringer a bit. It has, um, as far as I've been able to research very good security on the internals of the program like for example there's a lot of apps on the ios and android store that are like you know password saver pro version 2012 right you know that that when you you put your passwords in there and and you save them out and when you go and look at the data on the back end it's not encrypted it's all plain text they're not hashing against anything or if they're hashing it they're hashing it against um a static key for the app or something with no uh, no salt in the encryption or anything like that. Right. So it winds up being very easy to crack these devices. Don't LastPass, um, I believe uh, Steve Gibson on Security Now gave it a pass a couple months back saying, you know, this one is actually one that's done, done really well. Yeah, he, he reviewed about 20. And, wow. You know, I've divided it into certain categories of, of blatantly moronic, uh, you know, it accidentally moronic you know uh purposefully stupid okay and actually done right <laughs> and you know out of the 20 reviewed there were like two that were actually done right and LastPass was one of them uh so i would hope that they put that same amount of rigor into validating this wallet app as they do their their password app and if so i i mean it would at least be a secure way of storing this information. I'm not sure what the use case is. Oh, it's real clear. Um, if you lose your wallet, uh, you have a, you have to go. Th- number one, you may need some of that data relatively quickly, like say your driver's license number. Right, right, right. Uh, but beyond that, you need to be able to quickly get on the phone, cancel credit cards, make arrangements to replace things that are lost and that sort of thing. So having the contents of your wallet digitally would be very handy if your wallet was stolen. Okay. That- the question, of course, is 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 what happens if your phone is stolen? And I'm guessing that they're approaching this the same way they do with the LastPass application, which is pretty effectively, you know? I, I th- you know, if if you use all of the thing, the features that are offered in LastPass and two-factor authentication 
and yep. and so on. It's it's pretty pretty damn safe. It's it's certainly safe enough that the the what risk would come from having your passwords in one place is more than offset by the gain from having uh, being able to use strong passwords and different ones for every site. Right. Yeah. I. I I guess this is the equivalent of, you know, like photocopying all of the cards in your wallet and Absolutely. putting that in a safe place in your house, I guess. And I, um, hey, I'm a big believer in uh, looking at your security that way, too, as well. Like, I, I worked for a company one time where uh, we had just implemented a, a first web based system. See, it was uh, CGI. I'm not kidding. <laughs> to, to Clipper. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, really. I'm not kidding. And uh, in, anyway, yeah. it was it was pretty cool. But but what was funny is is they had this oh my god moment where they're like, oh god, all of the credit cards stored in our system are are oh my god, people are going to steal them all. And and they just they just went off the deep end with like we've got to find every possible way to secure them and and you know it got to the point where they were asking for some pretty over the top stuff. And in one of the meetings one time, I finally, I just said, hang on. And I got up and I, I made a quick pass through the office and it was, you know, we had stretched into lunch. So most people were at lunch and yep. I just walked through the office. Our front door is unlocked, you know, yep. and I picked up anything off someone's desk that had a credit card number on it. Oh, geez. Yeah. And, and I walked back in and I'm like, here you go. I picked up. 45 credit card numbers along with all the data required to use them from walking through this office. Now I bet I could do this overnight and get more. And you know, they come in here and clean every night, right? The door stays unlocked. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, so- now, you know, we, we, I agree we need to be secure, but we, I think we need to set our standards at at least as secure as our office. Well, yeah, and I mean that's that's what it comes down to is that the 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 big scare is always, you know, I know there's that office example, but you know, there's the front the front door of the office for the internet is, is big. It faces every place it's in the world. Seven yes. billion people, big, right? Right. Um, the, if you're the depending one, on being in the backwater, that's not going to fly. Right. Yeah. Security by obscurity is 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 always a bad thing. I mean. Hell, I use it as a secondary objective. You sure, know, like sure. I, I don't put our uh, for for a GWC server SSH is not running on port twenty two. Let me yeah. just tell you that. Right? I mean, come on, let's 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 at least knock some of the the stupid stuff out of the you way. Just don't want to, but that's the not log. the only thing I do to secure it. <laughs> right. right. You know, it's like root cannot log in. You know, but one thing that is good about the LastPass password program, at least, is that it's doing the encryption on the device. And not on the service, which is awesome. Which is awesome. It's also using uh, an SSH connection on the back or SSL connection on the back end, um, which is a secure web link, not the insecure one that you would normally access a lot of uh, g- general websites. To, which is still an option for apps. I mean, that's the other thing you got to consider is that sometimes these apps don't even use secure connections, so they're essentially transmitting your data in plain text to a cloud service, which is scary. scary in itself. Yeah. But, you know, the LastPass password program seems to do it really well. And I would hope that they, they do the same for this. Uh, it looks like you can also, like, create notes, uh, record little voice notes, and, uh, you know, sync it between different areas. So I, I think that this, isn't, this doesn't come down to the, uh, the 7 billion people front door thing because of the fact that 
well, not the fact, but the, the assumption that they're doing this the same as the password thing, that you know, you're going to have your stuff encrypted on the device before it gets sent anywhere. So unless somebody gets a hold of your key, then you're probably going to be okay with this. Well, my thoughts, number one, if you're going to use a, uh, a digital wallet of some sort like that app, I think LastPass would be the one I would choose. Yeah, just, just because I've, you know they've they've had such uh, you know we've had such good luck with them in other ways. Um, secondly, uh, I I don't think we've talked about this before, and and you know there's no reason to go into huge detail, but I wanted to mention that a lot of people use LastPass in some ways you might not consider. Uh, for example, if you have a if you have a development shop like I do, for example, um, you find yourself dealing with a whole lot of client. Uh, passwords that they assign you that need to be distributed within your team. Uh, And it can get very difficult to distribute them and then undistribute them at the right times. So like, you know, if a client say gives you a uh, username and password for something that you're going to work on for them, and then uh, you work on it and then you add two more people to the team and then they work on it and you add two more people to the team and then you remove one of those people uh, you find yourself either just accepting the risk of having somebody running around who knows how to get back in there, which could be an issue, or uh, going back to the client and saying, hey, I need you to change it and redistributing that within, which is a pain in the ass for everybody. Right. LastPass has an awesome solution for this, which is that you can create business accounts. Uh, you can you can distribute the right to use the passwords where they don't actually know what they are. Oh, okay. That's cool. I was going to say, well, you know, they could still copy the password. Nope. Nope. They can't. <laughs> okay. That is cool. Okay. So, yeah, I that's con- pretty sweet. I had not considered that, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, essentially, you can have people, you and we use the crap out of it, you know, where you can have people uh, go off and, and you can assign, uh, uh, and, and, and I haven't gotten into it as much because I've used it with someone else, but I haven't set it up for myself yet, but... Uh, but from what I understand, the way it works is you can go into the LastPass business account and you can assign users who what gets shared to whom, and and you can make groups and that sort of thing, and you can share to groups and and unshare and and blah blah blah, and essentially you can manage all that internally without having to go back to the client, which is nice. Uh, and when when the gig is over, you can turn everybody off, you know. Right. So it's it's really sweet. Uh, it's something that you and I should set up because we have a lot of shared managed stuff that would be really handy to do that way. Uh, not that we particularly care about each other knowing, but in even in this case, just being able to have it where if you happen to update it, I don't have to think about it would be really nice, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was really cool and, and worth looking into if, if uh, any listeners are using LastPass and have situations like that and would like to. It could even be useful within a family, I think. I haven't looked at the cost. It's it's really cheap, though. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure it I, wasn't I don't know. I, I, I mean, the personal last pass is something like 10 bucks a year. Exactly. So, so I mean, even if charged, it's 10 times that amount it'd be for worth a business it, yeah. cost, that's ridiculously It'd be short, worth it in, short, yeah. in spades. Yeah, I would happily pay that. But uh, And then I had one uh, final, I know we, we have to be kind of short today, but I had one kind of funny story that came to mind that I just want to share because it's just too funny to pass up. All right. But this is something that happened with the, uh, the same company that I, I was mentioned when we were talking about security you know you know how and i know you're aware of this but um oh do your thing that we haven't carted up yet that can apply to both of us oh yeah i work for a telecom and my opinions are my own yeah me too 
Uh, I don't work for a telecom, but my opinions are my own. You work for companies, and your opinions are your own. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so this was many, many years ago, like uh, 10, 15 years ago. But I, right. I was working for this this company, and they they, they, they kind of reacted to tech stuff pretty heavily, like, like I mentioned with security. It was like, you know, it is important to be concerned with this, but there comes a point where you're way into diminishing returns, and you're like, you know, like uh, one time they uh, they had a we had one of those early Seagate Barracuda uh, SCSI drives that the motors oh, died on right yay. yeah yeah it was yeah. great so the worst type of failure where the drive's not even spinning so you have no hosed <laughs> and they were like oh god we've got to get that data back and I you know they're like do anything and I'm like you 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 don't you don't want uh, that you know? uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm they're like no you don't understand the value of this data and i'm like okay so i went out and i got the fir- the first quote was for $34,000 <laughs> yeah that sounds like, about right what are they smoking i don't understand and i'm like look do you i i asked because i was kind of surprised as well i thought a couple of grand you know uh, yeah. So what they do is, and, and this is still the case, by the way, so for those people who are like, I did something dumb, and now I want this data back, and where can I send it? And it's like, well, here's what they do to get that data back. First of all, if it's physically damaged, like if the surface of the disk is physically man- uh, damaged, you're probably hosed anyway. Yeah, if, if you had a head impact in the drive, yeah. yeah it could be bad. Problem. Second of all, um, what they do is, assuming that it was the motor or something else, they they take your drive into a clean room open it up, disassemble it, assemble it back with parts for, from an identical drive. And oh. then, and then, and then fire up that drive and read it using some special software to try to reconstruct what might be gone. So, uh, it's pretty damn absurd what they will have to go through to do one of these. So they are not surprisingly expensive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you've ever opened up a hard drive, yeah. the, emo- the moment that that air seal breaks, you're done. There's dust all over yeah, the platter. I mean, that's it. That, that's why this is a clean room. This is literally like, remember those Intel commercials from the 90s where yeah. they are all wearing the big white suits? Yes. It's literally that kind of lab. With a filtration system in the air and everything, it's crazy. So you just... Yeah, anybody that has a cold is fired. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not happening. So anyway, the funniest of these stories, though, was uh, we had a power outage. And, and they decided, you know, after... You know, our assistant went down there like, well, we need we need UPSs. And I'm like, well, that's a great idea. We should do that. Yeah. So I went out and uh, I priced them. And sure enough, we could buy, you know, some nice little UPSs for each thing and a couple for the server. And it was a few grand for the office, essentially. You know, I can't remember five, six grand for the whole office. To outfit. It was great. Yeah. And, uh, and and so I, I put my proposal in and then they came back and they were like, uh, that's not enough. This I'm like, well. What is enough? You need to give me some definition, you know, and if you can give me some goal, I can go out and approach that. And they're like, we need that. We need for the entire system to run for one day without any power. Well, they want a Jenny on the roof. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I'm like, okay. well, first of all, you know, I I didn't just say it. I'm like, I know this isn't possible, but I'm going to go find out. So I called one of the companies and I, I put one of the poor salespeople through the ringer. And he was able to help me figure it out. Uh, I then got on the phone and and found the people that managed our business, our our building that we were in, and uh, got the, the important parts of the building specs and contacted a local contractor and figured out what it would cost to install all the crap that needed to be installed to do it, found, sourced all the stuff. It was kind of fun, actually, right? Yeah. 
And I came in and it was like, I can't remember, $127,000, something like that, $125,000. And and you're right, because it was a two-stage, you know, which you have to do. You have to have a a short-term stage, which will run for, you know, up to maybe 15 or 30 minutes so that you can auto-start a generator. And if you can't, you can go out and try to fix it before That's the thing about a generator. You just can't let it run. (laughs) It has to be started up. Yeah. yeah, and then and then uh, uh, you know obviously you have you may have to fuel it or do other things with it, so you have to be prepared to have a small break every now and then when when required to do those things. So I had figured it all out; it was great. And they of course went, "Oh my God!" You know, we're thinking this is going to cost you know ten thousand dollars, like not even nope. close. You know, they're nope. like, "Well, okay." So I want it to run. I want all of the critical server gear to run for uh, to run for six hours. I'm like, okay, we might be able to do that. I don't know. Let that me see. is within the realm of batteries. <laughs> so I go out and I, I price it. And sure enough, uh, you could get one of those back then. It was state of the art. It was this real cool uh, rack system, right? Which was designed to, you would install, you had this unit that could accept mod- battery modules, right? And control yes. modules okay. and stuff. It was really cool. And uh, I had figured it out, how many battery modules we needed and, and how many control modules to make them all go and everything. And was getting ready to, you know, it looked like we were going to be in the twenty, thirty thousand dollars range when we got done. Uh, well, I take that back in the ten or fifteen thousand dollars range. But I got to, I got to thinking. I'm like, man, that's awfully heavy, you know. Crap. I'm, I'm, I'm really. Oh. And I'm like, I have the building plans, but damn, I just don't know how to figure it out, you know. So yeah. I thought, well. You know, there's this. Uh, there was the, there were these really nice people that worked across the hall uh, that I, I I was friends with and had done some work for them over time, and they were they had a number of mechanical engineers on staff. So I thought, you know, <laughs> I wonder if I like took some you know took some sandwiches over there at lunch if they would take a look at this for me. Uh, and about uh, at about this time, the uh, you know the boss came in is like, I need this number, and I'm like, well, here's the number right now, but I think there's a problem with the weight of these, and I really need to figure it out so i I found this way to do it for free i'm going to do that and he's like oh it's a bunch of bs it's completely fine i don't know what the hell you're smoking i'm like well you know he's like you know i don't care and moved on took my numbers and started going getting ready to buy this stuff so you know god love the boss that doesn't listen to his employees (laughs) yeah so i i thought man i'm worried about this so i got up and i went over and I talked to the guys and I'm like, look, you know, they were, I was going to do this, but they're buying it. And I just really I'm concerned about this. Can you help me figure it out? And they did. They actually sat down and and went through the specs for the building and figured it out. I was right. Um, it was it was 40 uh, some odd percent over the limits. Which so it was going to punch a Hulk fist through the floor when you installed it. Yeah. And and in fact, it was really funny because the guy who owned the company over there had happened to walk in while I had some of his engineers going and he was a nice guy. And he's like, what are you doing? And we told him and he was like, oh, yeah, I got a story to tell you. <laughs> they, they they worked with communication. I know I'm going roundabout, but I swear this is totally worth the pay, the payoff is worth it. All right. So so there uh the, the, the deal is, is that he, he works in telecommunications and that's probably nonspecific enough. But uh, he, he told me this story about they had they had this very heavy piece of gear that they had installed and they were worried about it. And they had a similar kind of situation where they were like, ah, it's well within the limit. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And they didn't. And uh, and and then he got a call one Sunday, I guess, that <laughs> that it, it, it hadn't worked out and it had indeed fell through the floor right but but here's here's the thing 
It was like on the 14th floor. Oh, no. <laughs> now, the trick did, is that it... Did it continue? <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. If it was too much for the floor, sitting still, right? Oh, it picked up speed well, over the, the 15 feet. But yeah. You know, 8, 10 feet of floor, at least. <laughs> uh, Not including the subfloor, it was probably... Yeah. <laughs> and uh, granted, it's going to slow down a tiny bit as it goes through each level, but, you know, it's there's still another... How, Acceleration how many did it get through? <laughs> all the way, all the way, of course. So when he what? arrives, oh. it's sitting in the lobby. You know, in a pile Crack. of rubble, it's sitting right in the middle of the lobby. <laughs> and and he can't help it. He walks over and looks. You know, the yeah. hole going up to the... Somebody on the 14th floor looking down is like, hey, Jim. <laughs> Doe. So, yeah, wow. the funny thing here is that... Uh, uh, so I, I asked him, like, well, how do you solve this? He's like, oh, it's really easy. You know, the trick is that uh, the, the, the stress is the problem with your thing here is that the damn thing's only about, you know, two and a half foot square. So right. so it's 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 a lot of weight in two and a half foot square. He's like, you just spread the weight out even a little and it makes a huge difference. Right. Yeah. So they, they sat down, you know, and figured it out. And what I needed was a uh, was a half inch steel plate that was four foot square. You needed a snowshoe for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You put you put this thing mounted onto a four foot half inch steel, you know, half inch thick four foot square steel plate, and it's fine. Yeah. You put it anywhere in the room, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I came back with that, and they they did not believe me. Oh, crap. they did not believe. They thought it was just complete hokum, you know. And uh, we're going to invest twenty grand in this, but we're not willing to pay another couple hundred bucks for a big steel plate. And probably more than that, but they, yeah, and of course, a place to put it, right? Because you got to have this yeah, room yeah. dedicated to a steel plate and this battery. They, they want to solve it for, yeah, yeah, yeah. They want they, you know, they want a little like desktop size thing that makes the office go for six hours. But it, it was just the whole experience was really funny, and of course, they told me to get stuffed and that they were going to do it, and I told them that's okay i'm not gonna do it you know and uh, and uh and and then they you know look squirrel you know and then looked on to something else and decided and in fact we never ever put any kind of battery backup on the server um <laughs> all of that to, to say yeah, yeah whatever you know what they ended up doing is they put they put backups on everybody's desktops and they did not on the server i actually took the one off mine and put it on the server that's probably a good um, idea. Yeah, I figured what the hell. <laughs> and then you back know? your stuff up to the server, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, back then, who cares, you know? Yeah. But I, anyway, it's I, I know, like I said, roundabout story, but it's just really funny. And I, I think that it's I, I would be really surprised if people listening don't have similar kind of stories of if they've ever done any tech support work of any kind with people that just are unwilling to accept the problem that's presented, you know? I guess you watch too much TV or something where they just, you know, you wave your hand and it works. And, and in real life, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it's just the problem that you're asking to solve is is simply too large to solve with the resources at hand. <laughs> well, I, I did hear, a, a, yeah, I, I'd heard an offhand story about somebody that had upgraded from one um, rack, tall tower rack server to the latest generation. And the problem was, is that the new huh, version was two inches deeper, uh-huh. so they couldn't actually open the door. It, it, it hit the racks on the other side of the hallway, <laughs> <laughs> so they couldn't 
do any maintenance on it without pulling the entire machine. God. And this wasn't with the company that I worked for. I had heard it from somebody else who had worked for another company. But apparently they were just really angry at the vendor. It's like, well, how, how are we supposed to know that it was two inches well, two inches thicker. It's like, well, it says it on the specs. You just never thought to measure your your rack. <laughs> yeah, I, you're screwed I, now. <laughs> people have made fun of me many times, but I still think about stuff like that because of those guys across the hall that kind of introduced me to thinking that way. You know, like like uh, I still remember at the first GWC meetup, I actually had some events at my house, and I have a game room that has a pool table in it, and. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think about it, it has a large, long-run rafter across the bottom on under, under a four, four joist underneath it. And, and below that is a garage. And it has a 2,000-pound pool table on it. And I thought long and hard before everybody was like, everybody was like, oh, we're going to play some music in there and we'll, have, we'll put a bunch of people in there. I'm like, well, how many? Right. You know, and people are like, oh, it's stupid. It's stupid. You can put all the people you can stuff in there. I'm like, okay. Now, the guy, when we built the house, the guy suggested that if I wasn't going to put a second post, if I didn't put the the post that's in there, that, that I needed to not put a pool table in the room. Now, I'm not, you know, again, I haven't done the math or anything, and I don't even know how necessarily, but I know that we do have one post in there. We do have a pool table in there, and yeah. uh, 10 or 12 people is a pool table. Yeah. So if we put 30 in there, that's like three more pool tables. Yeah. What What did the rule of thumb come down to? Everybody stand around the edge of the room. I know. And everybody made fun of me for that. Um, but. But I was like, yeah, the, we, we the, no more than 20 people in. and stand around the edge of the room. And it did not cave in. And that's a good thing, I think. <laughs> well, well, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I'll stop rambling because I'm making us run along. Ah, whatever. Sure. <laughs> I, I appreciated it anyway. Fun stories, if nothing else. You got to do that right. every now and then. You got anything to add here at the end? No, I just, I, I'm I'm starting to think of a bunch of other tech stories that I could bring up, and I'll probably have to on future episodes. But uh, if anybody has come across one of these kind of hilarious, uh, you'd never believe Tell what, us. what happened. Let us know. Call 214-296-9229, extension oh. 70. Whatever it says. Three. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Three. Yes. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to play them. And uh, we'll see you next week. From everyone here at Modern Geek and GWC, thanks for listening. If you have something to add to the show, a news tip, feedback on anything we've discussed, or just some random awesomeness, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229. And follow the instructions there to leave us a message for inclusion in a future podcast. You'll find other GWC podcasts, as well as the friendliest people in geekdom, on the GWC website and forum at galacticwatercooler.com. And don't forget, financial support from listeners like you keep all GWC podcasts on the net each week. To find out how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash donate.